Welcome to the How to Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm honored to have Mr. Eric O'Gray. How are you doing today? Great, Lori, and thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming. I know we've had a bit of uh, schedules and moving and holidays, and finally that's kind of all calmed down. So I'm very excited to hear your story, because so, you had written a book called Walking with Petey, but we'll get to that in a minute. But okay. I, I want to just kind of start with where were you five, six years ago? How was your health? What were you doing? Um, and just kind of give us a day in the life of Eric before PD and before plants and all that good stuff. Okay. So in 2010, I was 340 pounds. I was on about 15 different medications, including insulin, uh, morning and after morning and evening insulin injections for type two diabetes. Um, my, uh, diabetes was out of control. My A1C was a about 12, and my glucose was about 300, despite metformin, the maximum dose of metformin and insulin injections. Also, I was having just the entire range of chronic disease problems. My um, cholesterol was about 400, and it was just everything was out of control. So one day at a doctor's appointment, I was also on three different antidepressants, blood pressure medication, really the entire litany of uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, including medications intended to alleviate the side effects of other medications. So one day at a uh, physical examination, a company mandated physical, my doctor gave me a choice. He said, you must do one of two things. One of two things. He said, you either need to have bariatric surgery uh, because uh, nothing seems to be working and your weight is out of control and this you're just really continuing to go. You're, you're really at the point, you're past slightly at or past the tipping point of recovery as far as uh, what your health is. And if you don't have bariatric surgery, you should buy a cemetery plot because you'll likely need one in the next five years. So I've always appreciated uh, candid uh, feedback as long as it's not, you know, if it's delivered in, you know, informationally and not like being mean, I, I don't mind anybody being blunt. So <clears throat> I really took that to heart. But see, at that point, I didn't really know what to do because I had been seeing doctors. I'd been morbidly obese for over 25 years, and I'd been seeing doctors this entire time. And every time that I went to the doctor, it was a, a simple, repeatable, transactional sort of thing. It was like I'd go to the doctor, you know, what's bothering you today? So you discuss what your chief complaint is for the day. It's obesity or a symptom of obesity. You know, I'm, I'm dizzy all the time. I, I can't sleep. Whatever the situation is. And then they prescribe in a, after a five to 10 minute meeting with the doctor, because that is my understanding now that that's the economics of the modern medical practice, that somebody seeing a lot of patients to cover the overhead has to see a lot of patients. And so in a five to 10 minute met, uh, uh, meeting, then one of two things is going to occur. I'm either going to leave that meeting with a prescription for a new medication or uh, a procedure or some kind of additional testing. So I'd done all that, and I'd done that so many times over a course of almost 30 years that, I, you know, I, I didn't see any change. But one of the things that I was told at each of these meetings was that I needed diet and exercise, but nobody ever told me what that meant or how to implement that advice. You know, diet and exercise, what is that? That is like standing at the base of Mount Everest and saying, okay, climb this. You know, how do you start? How do you do that? What do you need to bring with you? Uh, so... That was, my, uh, that was my problem at the point. I didn't know what to do, and I, I, I didn't know how to proceed at all. 
I think that's the failure of modern medicine, right? We can't even give you the simple advice of how to actually eat a healthy diet because there are so many competing thoughts and theories and time constraints. And I don't think it's, you know, it is partly a physician's fault because we are not very good leaders for ourselves as far as mandating, you know, better control over what a patient um, a day looks like or appointment, you know, demanding the proper reimbursement for basically the knowledge of taking care of someone with chronic disease. So there's a lot of issues with that. And I'm so sorry you got kind of stuck in that hamster wheel of just prescriptions and procedures. And, but that's, you know, when you go through medical school, they teach you, Oh, if you have a broken bone, we can cast it. Right. And then you have this chronic disease. They just teach you about the medications. They don't say, Oh, well the actual true prevention is a plant-based diet and, exercise, but then you're on insulin, right? They say, oh, eat less, but insulin tells you to store fat and that you're hungry. So hormonally, I'm injecting with something that tells you the opposite of what I'm telling you to do. So God, it's very frustrating. No wonder you're depressed, right? Yeah. And that's really what I found out is that, you know, all the medications and the weight and everything made me uh, tired and just with chronic fatigue all the time. And as you know, one of the symptoms of clinical depression is, uh, you know, just a general feeling of exhaustion and, um, just not, uh, you know, unhappiness. And it, it's all related to the same thing. And I guess that's really what I found out also is what you're saying. I mean, after, and, you know, just trying to cut to the end a little bit here, but not, we still have a lot to talk about the middle. After I found my solution, which was a whole food plant-based diet, and, um, you know, I lost 150 pounds in under a year doing what, uh, you know, I got a second opinion. I'll go over this in a second. But what I did was, I was wondering why, based upon my dramatic change, just from shifting to a whole food plant-based diet and doing what I did, which was walking a dog for half an hour twice a day for my full recovery, and then losing, doing that, and nothing more, losing 150 pounds in a year, and just feeling better than I'd ever felt in my entire life, feeling like I had never experienced before. I had never experienced a, a feeling of just feeling really good um, it, it was always like, uh, I, I felt like even when I hadn't had a drink in months, I, I felt, you know, a feeling of like a really bad hangover all the time, uh, mm. skin conditions, uh, psoriasis, arthritis, like everything, just in constant pain and misery. And I'd never really had energy my entire life. And I always had like really low energy. It was always like a real mental effort to just get up and do anything. And so after this, this recovery that I had, I, I was wondering, you know, why isn't every doctor in America shouting this from the rooftops as their primary course of care to all patients before ever considering prescribing medication to anybody? You know, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to do it. So as part of that entire process, I self-educated because up until that point, I had given my medical care and all of the, the decisions in my life on, on what I should do and how my body worked and what I should eat and, and everything else. I'd given all that and I'd relied upon other people to make those decisions for me. And it, it was at that point that I decided I need to self-educate. I need to become an expert on how my body works and how nutrition works and, and what I should do because nobody is going to do a better job of that than I can do myself. So as part of that process, I enrolled in a local community college and I took the full spectrum, the full array of uh, over a couple of years I, at night school I took the full course load of classes that you would normally be a prerequisite for getting into medical school, like 
chemistry, organic chemistry, anatomy and physiology, biology, all the way through physics, because I'd never taken those in high school. In high school, in, in my entire previous life, there was never any requirement that I learned basic things about nutrition or how my body worked or anything. So this was a big mystery to me. I had a law degree. I had a business degree. I knew all these things, but I didn't know really uh, the basic decisions that I needed to be able to make to go through life were just this mystery to me because they were clouded in a science that I didn't understand. Mm. So as part of all that, I became real comfortable with reading medical literature, doing basic research because I, I you know, I uh, had gone through law school. I was really good at research. And I found that medical uh, research was really no different than legal research. It was just a different field. So <clears throat> I did all that and then became self-empowered for the first time in my life. And, and that just really, it was like flipping on a light switch. It was like emerging from the matrix. <laughs> it was like a completely different person. And I felt so amazing. And, and I just felt like so great. It was a feeling that I'd never experienced before. And ultimately, I realized that that's what it was like to feel normal. And mm -hmm. I'd never experienced the feeling of normal before, but let's wow. not bypass the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a big chunk that we need to go yeah. back through, but absolutely, and I think that's what people miss. They think, because they've always felt this way, that that's how we're supposed to, to live, right? That they figure, right. this is the life that I'm going to live. I'm going to be exhausted and fatigued, and there's no thriving. You see other people doing these amazing things and you're wondering, well, how, how is that possible? Why are they able to, and I'm not. So that's the part about being a physician when you, you know, you go through all the rigors of medical school. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not easy. You're going through, and I went through with three little kids. So when you go through medical school and then residency, you, you go through that because you want to help people. And so then mm -hmm. there's a, there's a high degree, actually, of physician suicide and burnout. We have one of the highest suicide rates of any profession. And I think there's, and there's also a lot of roadblocks to getting help because if you actually, um, like, for example, if I'm applying for a different medical license in another state, they ask if you've actually had any depression or anxiety or have been seen by, you know, some type of mental health therapist when honestly, why is that a, a prerequisite of saying you can have a medical license to take care of someone when I may need, I have, you know, someone may have stresses and depression. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother case of talking, but, right. but what you're describing is why doctors that I know that do prescribe a whole plant-based diet, they love it because it's so invigorating and so addictive to see people get well, thrive, like really live, not exist, but actually thrive in living. And it's and really an just amazing. A, a feeling of energy that I can only describe as kind of like resulting in joy and happiness. Yeah. I mean, just feeling so good that you're happy and joyful all the time. And you just want to do nice things for people. And that was something that I'd never experienced before. And one of the other things that I learned in talking to a lot of doctors is that uh, most doctors that I've ever talked to had never taken a nutrition course in, in uh, really you know, even in community college, regular university or medical school, to the extent that they'd taken a nutrition course, it had been to recognize the symptoms of uh, like really things that we haven't seen in hundreds of years, like scurvy and beriberi and uh, like, mm -hmm. you know, severe iodine deficiencies. Defic it's deficiencies of your nutrition, not now we'll see, but we have this overabundance, but because of the 
the way our society has changed in the last one to 200 years along with medical education, but they didn't, we didn't parallel, we didn't respond to this chronic disease. We didn't, because honestly, so many doctors don't even understand if you ask a doctor, well, what causes type two diabetes? They'll say insulin resistance. Okay, well, what actually causes yeah. insulin resistance? What right? is the underlying cause of in- insulin resistance? And right. Many still believe that it's excess glucose in your right. blood, which it's, really has nothing to do with it. It's plugging up your... It's your, the intermyocellular uh, lipids. Thank you. Exactly. I remember that term. I <laughs> it's the lipotoxicity, right? So right. I always encourage patients when I have this conversation, they're like, well, my doctor told me I need to do this and that. I said, well... First of all, how much nutritional education did your doctor have? And I, and I'm, trust me, I had to do self-education myself six years ago and it was like, what just happened? And, but the important thing was ask them to explain to you besides insulin resistance, I want them to draw out the molecular cause of your disease. And if they can do that, then they have room to say, eat a, you know, some people are telling them eat a paleo diet. I was like, are you kidding me? So let's make this even worse. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah. But that's a long, it's uh, anyway, I, as you can see, I'm, I get really riled up with this, but I, I will let you know too, um, the plantrition project, which is run by Dr. Scott Stoll, where, and you may already know this, I don't know, but we're launching a new journal and I'm the managing editor of it. Um, called the mm-hmm. international journal of disease reversal and prevention. So we're actually going to be looking at the research and creating, uh, a general audience, understanding of the research of a plant-based diet and reversal of disease and prevention of chronic disease. It's going to be, there's a lot of work to it. It's, it's overwhelming some days when I'm thinking of all the things we got to do, but it's, um, it's a legacy project that will just have so much impact if, you know, I pray that it goes the way it should. Um, but anyway, yeah. back to your story. So you were told to go buy a cemetery plot or get a surgery that could alter your internal organs. And what did you do? I went and I decided that, you know, nothing else had ever worked for me before. So I I really felt that I needed a second opinion. I needed to do something differently than I had tried and failed at up until that point in my life, because I had really tried every diet ever commercially marketed in the United States, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystems, Atkins, et cetera, just all the way through. I could could name the litany. But what I found with each one of them is that it was like getting on a bus and then getting off the bus. So what happened each time was I would uh, go on this diet and I would always be able to lose 30 or 40 pounds by doing something that was extreme and different than I was normally doing in my life. Like on Atkins, I would only eat meat and no vegetables or no no sources of starch whatsoever. Maybe like a little bit of uh, 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 asparagus or something like that. But really it was primarily uh, meat and oil and uh, eggs and things of that nature. And so that put my body into a state of ketosis and it caused my body to digest fats rather than carbohydrates. But it also, um, uh, created some fairly severe, uh, issues in me. And I would get to the point that after two months I'd lost 30 to 40 pounds, but then I'd stop and I could not get beyond that. I plateaued and then I would go out with friends or do something, and then I'd eat a plate of French fries, and that would completely reverse the process, which takes about a week for your, you know, then the uh, the glycogen would then again form, uh, and my body would then revert to using carbohydrates rather than fats, and you couldn't just, like, get back on there. So you'd really gain, like, a lot of weight back immediately because... 
every gram of glycogen requires about three grams of water and the entire weight gain from that is fairly extraordinary just by eating a plate of french fries after uh, being on uh, in a ketosis state for a couple of months you, you can put on 10 pounds uh, within a within a day or so i mean it's an extraordinarily frustrating thing which brings upon feelings of shame and uh, just like, oh, my God, I failed again. What's wrong with me? I'm just worthless. Nothing is ever going to work. I might as well just kill myself. I mean, really, those feelings occur. So that's what all those diets resulted in for me. So I thought, you know, I've been on and off this bus so many times. There's got to be a different solution. And then one day, and this is in August of 2010, this is a year before the movie Forks Over Knives came out, I saw uh, Bill Clinton on TV talking to Wolf Blitzer, and it was a political conversation, but Bill looked better than I'd ever seen him in my entire life. His face was oval instead of round. He, he lost the bags under his eyes. He just looked better than I'd ever seen him. And finally, Wolf just broke into the interview and said, you know, look, I got to ask you, because I'm sure everybody else is wondering also, what is the situation? I mean, what have you done? Because you look great. And then Bill started talking about uh, having hooked up with some doctors uh, who had uh, uh, recently published a book called The China Study, and they had gone and they like made all these discoveries, and they were helping him to reverse his heart disease and keep his weight in check. It helped to achieve his optimal weight with a whole food plant-based diet. <clears throat> so I had, <clears throat> pardon me, well, I, I'd heard every other diet term ever on the market, and I'd done like every pharmaceutical and everything for every possible diet that had ever come on the market. I'd never heard of a plant-based diet. So this was again in August, 2010. So I Googled Clinton plant-based diet and Google returned then no search results found, I swear. Now, if you Google that same term right now, you'll get about 26 million hits. It, it's, it's extraordinarily, it's extraordinary how far we've come in about six years. But then, so I, I, I go, I have to find out more from this because if Google doesn't know about it, but President Clinton does. Maybe this is some sort of thing that's only available to really rich people. But, you know, I, I, I felt like my life depended on it. So I had to I had to find out. So I called and I called and I did like a lot of research. And, and ultimately, over a course of about or several days to a week, I found a person who was not a medical doctor, but was a licensed naturopathic doctor who knew exactly what a plant-based diet was, and she said she followed one herself. So I made an appointment with her, and I went in and I consulted with her, and this was a different experience that I'd ever had in my entire life with any sort of medical professional. Instead of just spending five, 10 minutes with me, on her first visit, she spent an hour and a half with me. And she made me, she, she just really qualified me, like professional sales qualification. I was in sales, so I, I, I she, this woman was good, right? Her name is Dr. Preeti Kolkarni in Cupertino, California. And so she, she asked me all these questions. She got me to admit my deepest, darkest secrets. Like I had stopped going outside entirely. I'd become completely reclusive. You know, I, all my food and everything was being delivered to my door. I, I really had lost all my friends because I stopped socializing with anybody because I just felt so embarrassed and humiliated about my weight. And I hadn't felt attractive in 20, in 30 years. I hadn't been on a date in 15 years. I was just really, I really didn't want to live anymore. So at the end of this meeting, she said that she was going to show me what diet and exercise meant. And she was going to work with me. And all I needed to do 
was commit to six months of meetings with her and I was going to come in and meet with her every week and we were going to do a weigh-in followed by a discussion of what worked and what didn't. We we're going to continually fine-tune the program and based upon that she said if I followed her advice exactly and you know strong and I didn't deviate from it that she felt very confident that in less than a year I could get off all my meds and achieve my ideal weight. And I just looked at her like, you know, are you on crack? I mean, how is that even possible? Because how do you know something that nobody else knows? So I go, you know, at that point, I had already scheduled bariatric surgery. I'd qualified for it and scheduled it. And it was about 30 days away. And I wanted to do anything I possibly could to avoid it because I'd known people that had bariatric surgery. And every single one of them was able to lose about 100 pounds in about the first year. But then over like years two, three, four, their weight started creeping up again. And it was because they discovered a couple things. First, they could drink large quantities of milkshakes and other liquid calories without, because it just flows straight through your system and it doesn't need to collect and digest in your stomach. And then secondly, they were able to, you know, regrow their stomach back to the original size after having it two thirds of it removed through a lap, uh, uh, what, whatever the procedure is called you know, the stomach cells are elastic. So basically they regrow and they stretch out again. So then they could eat the amounts of food that they were before. So I knew that bariatric surgery was also just a short-term solution, mm -hmm. but that did have permanent lifetime consequences, but it was a short-term solution, much like all the other diets that I tried. So I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to find anything I could to avoid that. And then the final, so she got me to agree to come in for weekly appointments and she made me prepay for them. And it wasn't a big deal because my insurance covered it, but my deductible was, you know, my copay was $25 a week. And because she knew that by doing that, once I'd made a financial commitment, mm -hmm. I was, that was going to force me to follow through. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually did. I mean, once, you know, I put some money on something, I want to get my money's worth out of it and I'm actually going to do it versus doing it casually and uh, a less of a formal uh, commitment. And then sure. finally, so the first thing that she prescribed for me, she said, you know, she gave me a list of recipes and of things to clear out of my pantry. And she said, here's what you're going to throw out, anything like this, and here's what you're going to go to the store and buy. And then for the first week, these are the recipes that you're going to make. And this was a huge deal for me because at that point in my life, I had never, uh, I'd never cooked. I, I knew how to boil water and use a microwave like I could cook top ramen and heat something in a microwave, but I didn't know how to do anything else. So the process for me also involved learning how to cook. And she said she would help me with that. She did. And then the final piece of advice that she gave me was she prescribed a, a dog from my shelter. She told me that I needed to go to my, my local uh, uh, shelter and adopt a dog. And she said, don't get a puppy. She said, you need to get like an adult's dog. Uh, because, you know, she, she talked to me and she said, you know, I, she understood that I'd never had a pet before. And I was really concerned about that. I'd never had a pet before and I'd never had a bond or experienced a bond with any kind of animal before. So, you know, I, I thought, how's that related to my obesity? And she explained to me it was going to do several things for me. She said the underlying cause of my obesity was not this collection of all these symptoms that all these medical doctors kept prescribing all these different pharmaceuticals for, but the underlying cause of my obesity was several things. First, it was poor nutrition, and she was going to help educate me on how to eat and, and live correctly. Second, 
it was the fact that I'd stopped going outside because I'd become so obese. I'd stopped doing any kind of exercise whatsoever. And just because it was so painful to move and, and to tie my shoes and to do anything, I was out of breath tying my shoes. I never wanted to do anything more than wear sweatpants and Hawaiian shirts. And, and she said, the other thing equally important is that you have stopped socializing entirely. So the dog is going to force you to get outside because the dog's going to have to go to the bathroom and the dog's not going to tolerate just sitting in your apartment all day. So the dog's going to force you to get outside a couple of times a day. And in doing so, you're going to see the sunshine and you're going to walk them around and you're probably going to run into people and you're going to have to socialize again. So she said all those things were the basis of her prescription for the, uh, the dog and that, you know, I needed to go do that. And so she sent me home with that instruction and with the recipe and the pantry list. And we made an appointment for the following week. And so I decided that I was going to follow her instructions exactly because nothing else in my life had ever worked before. And if I did what she said, I mean, this person obviously wasn't like, she wasn't trying to sell me anything. There was no like, you know, um, there was no potions or, you know, processes or whatever she was trying to sell me. There was no like, you know, there, there was no like equipment associated with this or anything. It was fruits, vegetables, legumes, and grains from the supermarket mm-hmm. and a dog that, you know, I was going to go down to the Humane Society and get that she had nothing to do with. So I, I called, I, I did the shopping, and then I, um, the first time that I tried to cook, I set the fire alarms in my apartment building off. It was really bad <laughs> to talk about this in my book. And then after that, I went to the Humane Society, and I called them, and I talked to their adoption coordinator, And I, you know, I asked for an obese middle-aged dog so we'd have something in common. (laughs) And, you know, everybody thought that was funny. But I went down there and the adoption coordinator was a super serious person, just like Dr. Preeti was, who wanted to make sure that before she let me adopt one of her animals, that I was making an absolute lifetime commitment to care for and and love that animal and treat that animal as part of my family. And I I thought, wow, that's really simple because at that point I thought of animals as kind of like objects rather than as individuals. So we went into an adoption room. This is after about an hour filling out all these paperwork, you know, answering all these questions. We went into an adoption room and she said, I think that I have the perfect dog for you. So I'm sitting there and I hear this really large, loud kind of thumps coming down the hallway with these nails clicking on concrete and in walks the sorriest looking dog. (laughs) This dog was missing fur. He was just itching. He had big red patches all over his body. And he just really, his head was hung low and his shoulders were slumped and he was just looking at the ground and he wouldn't even look up. And so when she brought him in, I had something entirely different in my mind. I was thinking about this perfect little prancing, attractive, like blonde, curly kind of dog that was maybe eight pounds or something. And I looked up at the adoption coordinator and I said, well, where's my dog? (laughs) (laughs) And when I said that, the dog looked up at me with with a pretty clear sense of uh, similar disappointment to what I had him looking at him. And he was like, we both kind of like looked at her and she said, look, you know, you've told me that you want a dog so that 
to be in a similar kind of situation as you are so that you can do stuff together, do things together and go on daily walks and, and lose weight. So this dog is going to look after you and you're going to look after this dog and the two of you are going to do it together. And I, I kind of just said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so me and the dog went home and uh, for the first three days, you know, I was able to make it, we were able to walk about a hundred yards and back and we we're just both out of breath and just you know, completely exhausted and had to come back and lay on the couch. Well, I laid on the couch and he took up residence on the opposite side of the room and we just kind of looked at each other skeptically for about three days, not knowing what to think. And it's because, you know, he'd been in a couple of shelters before and his previous owners had given up on him and the world had given up on him. And he'd been surrendered to this shelter for uh, early euthanasia because of his condition. And so on the third night, I still don't know how he did it because he was so big. He was about, he was 75 pounds. He should have been about 50. He hopped up on the bed with me. And, you know, after that, we just became best friends. And it was like a, a soulmate bond of brotherhood that I'd never experienced with anybody, a person or a creature, or anybody in my entire life. It was like just the purest form of unconditional love. And so we just became best friends. And he knew the thing about adopting an older dog is that dog will know that you saved him and he'll be so appreciative. And Petey is what I named him. He treated me like I was the best person, the most important, most amazing person to ever walk the planet. And I just felt, you know, humbled by how he, he treated me and his, his opinion of me. And he wanted to walk ahead when we walked to basically scout the neighborhood for bad guys. And he was going to uh, keep me safe from evil. I mean, he was just, he was an amazing dog just so loyal and so completely focused on my needs. And so, but he was so messed up himself that I stopped feeling sorry for myself and I started feeling sorry for him. And in doing that, you know, cause he was, that's how he was treating me. And I, I just decided that I wanted to become the person who he thought that I was. And so we just kept going on daily walks and our walks increased to, you know, two, three miles twice a day. And I was off all my meds with my glucose drop from about 12 to about five in, in about three months. Uh, my, pardon me, my A1C, my glucose was dropped from about 300 to about 100. My cholesterol dropped from 400 to 120. Uh, my blood pressure was 160 over 100 down to about 100 over 60. And uh, just like all these like amazing things. And I felt so amazing and so good. I didn't have to take pain meds anymore. I didn't need antidepressants. I, I got rid of everything. And in about four months, I was off 100% of all of my meds. And then by doing this in 10 months, I'd lost 140 pounds and Petey lost 25. So we both, the doctor, Dr. Preeti, exactly what she said was gonna happen, happened. By following her exact instructions, by learning how to cook and by eating uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, the plants, the fruits, vegetables, beans, and grains that she told me to uh, eat and that she taught me how to cook and she gave me recipes for, you know, there was about two months worth of 
uh, adaptation for me because at that point I was 51 and I had never gone a single meal in my life to the best of my knowledge that didn't include some form of animal product. So in doing that, you know, it was, I had like a lot of cravings at first. I really liked cheese there. You know, I ate a lot of eggs, all that kind of stuff. But after really forcing myself to stick with it for a couple of months, I found that what I liked was, and then after I got good at, at cooking and learning herb and spice combinations and learning how to make food taste really good and, and make some really good stuff, I was eating Mexican food and Thai food and Asian stir fry and making lasagnas and doing all kinds of things that were like guy food that I was really loved and, and I'd always eaten before. But, but now it made me feel so much cleaner and healthier. And I actually, because my palate changed and my taste buds kind of like awakened, I, I started to prefer the new foods that I was eating more than the old foods. And the old foods that I was eating suddenly seemed gross to me. When I, when I saw like what people were eating, what I used to eat before, you know, it was like getting religion. You go, well, like, how, how could they possibly do that? And, you know, I didn't want to be too opinionated and I didn't become like one of these shake your fist in your face kind of vegans. But I just, it, it really kind of completely and totally changed me and my perspective and, and just the way that I looked at everything from food choices to, to the universe. I mean, I became a different person because of it. Wow. Okay. There's so much that we could unpack from this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a, it, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a recovery story. It's a, are you, do you have a specific time by the way? Do I need to stay within? Do you need to be done? No, I can, I can do this for as long as you want. Okay. Um, you know, there's so much to that. There's the emotional healing. There's the physical healing. There's the spiritual awakening and healing that you're having this connection with this being. And so it's just really cool. So I am curious when PD jumped up on the bed and looked at you, what was it that suddenly was it just like, what was it that finally shifted in your mind? I mean, you went from doubting this to what were those first thoughts? I'm guess I'm trying to dive into it wasn't just a and so the first thing that I did that that caused me to he jumped up on the bed and he laid next to me and he put his head on my stomach and and it caused me to look at him as an individual rather than as like an object that I owned like just a uh, an organic you know object I I looked at him as an individual I looked in his eyes and I, I could tell and I really felt that there was a soul in there and somebody that it was like somebody that, you know, we were here for each other and this is all that we had. So we had to make the best of it. So it was a feeling that I hadn't experienced other than, you know, like through a high school, you know, like it wasn't a feeling of romantic love like it had with a high school girlfriend that I I'd, uh, experienced before. It was a feeling of just like, you know, a bond of brotherhood to a much lesser degree than I'd experienced in the army with, with, a couple of people that I served with, like, you know, really deep friendship, but this was, uh, this was very different. Th these were two people who were going to live or die together. And depending on how it went, uh, people that absolutely needed to depend and function on each other. And it was like, uh, you know, we were a team. Right. So like I, decided, gotcha. I decided that, you know, he had had a rough life. He'd been kept in a backyard for several years and, and not played with and just, you know, he'd, he'd been alone and I'd been alone. 
And I decided that together we were going to do amazing things and go on adventures and journeys and experience things that neither of us had ever experienced before. And I talk a lot about this in my book, and that's exactly what we did. Okay, that is incredible. Because I'm, I have a patient too that I've been worked with for the last year. She's lost 180 pounds in the last wow. 12 months, and awesome. she still has significant weight to lose. But just even the transformation from where she was to where she is now, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. I mean, it's just so incredible because you not only lose the physical weight, but you're losing so much of the emotional weight, right? And there's so much that is changing and is different. And by the way, make sure you tell her that the last 20 are as hard to lose as the first hundred. <laughs> She's fully aware. Yeah. yeah. So the, just the extraordinary things that you run into. See, I, I had, I looked so much different. I, I looked like a completely different person. I was unrecognizable from the person that I was before. And so I would run into people by going outside and by doing things and by, you know, just kind of like getting back into life again. I'd run into people that I, I knew from high school or that I'd known over the past 20 or 30 years who completely did not recognize me, not only didn't recognize me, but it didn't, they didn't believe that I was the person who I said that I was. <laughs> and so I would have to like remind them of like some, some story or some fact that only them and I would know from something that happened a long time ago, or they would finally recognize my voice and, and go, my God, you know, you're, you're half the man you used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's okay. So, um, that's yeah, that, that's, so that, that's something that was just constantly. And I mean, that would happen to me after I started getting out and doing stuff again, that would happen to me weekly for almost two years. And wow. it was just such a big shock and it was such a big remembrance. One of the other things I'd like to say before I forget, and this is really important, is the transition to a whole food plant-based diet. And I talked about how it was hard for a couple of months, but you know, the, the, the hardest thing for people to do is change, right? So, but it, it's harder to stay the same and be sick than it is to do the fairly reasonable, smaller adaptation that's associated with, with big change. And I'd like to also say that for anybody that's ever quit smoking or overcome an alcohol or substance abuse problem, it's far, far easier to transition from an omnivore to a whole food, plant-based, no oil diet than it is to get off one of those substances. I mean, it's really a lot easier to do this. So the good news is if you've ever quit smoking or if you've ever overcome an alcohol or substance abuse problem, you know, congratulations, because you have great experience. And that's that the, the experience is exactly the same. It's like overcoming, uh, uh, you know, addictions and overcoming like, you know, urges, it, you, you've already got like great experience in doing this. So you've got like a leg up over everybody else who has never had to go through that before. And it's going to be a lot easier for you than it is for anybody else that hasn't done that before. That's you're 100% absolutely true. Um, we did this overnight. I had a patient, um, I don't know if you're familiar how I changed to a plant-based diet. Six years ago, I was in rural Colorado working in mm -hmm. a very small hospital. Um, and a patient come in one day, said her meat and dairy upset her stomach. I said, well, stop eating meat and dairy. Um, I never had a weight issue. We ate fairly healthy um, by American standards. Um, growing up, we didn't have a lot of meat because it cost a lot more money. We had tons of beans. We grew our vegetables and had raised my family fairly the same way. We, we had our 
share processed food because, you know, let's busy families and you're thinking, well, you just, I just didn't know, <laughs> like I should have known. And, uh, she came back in 30 days and was feeling better. And I mean, intuitively I understood she'd probably be fine not eating dairy because there's other foods, but her daughter went on the diet with her and over 30 days pulled herself off two ADD meds. I mean, it had significant improvement in her, wow. uh, her functionality, just being able to focus and go through school. And she was very concerned. The mom was like, Dr. Marvis, why was she able to do that? I don't understand. And I said, I don't either, but that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I grilled her. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to explain something scientifically to to be able to know that's how it works. And and let me just add something that I I do talk to a lot of doctors and a lot of scientists and and get into various levels of debates about this. (laughs) Yeah. It's true that I don't have a medical degree. And it's mm-hmm. true that uh, I, I don't have like any sort of scientific or medical ed- education, but I, I don't need to because what I have done is I've experienced this firsthand. So rather than arguing about like what's in clinical journals or what's in this, I can tell you as direct evidence rather than your circumstantial evidence that what I'm talking about works. And I do know so many people that have done the same thing right now, like everybody in the, the Missing Chins Run Club, you know, like <laughs> a bunch of guys all in the same situations, you know. I'm like one of the, the lowest weight losses in, in some of these guys. Some of these guys have lost close to 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. But I can point to dozens of people that have simply gone on a whole food, plant-based diet and achieved the exact same results that I have, lost all their weight, got down to their high school weight or better than their high school weight, depending, but they've achieved their optimal weight and got off of all medications. Mm-hmm. And now they're testing out with completely normal or optimized medical stats on everything. Mm-hmm. And that's all they've done. So I don't need to re- really explain the medical basis, the, the transport mechanism of ATP or something like that, to be right. able to tell you that as a matter of fact, this works because I'm living proof that it does work. Right. Absolutely. But if, as far as the science rigors of education and getting it into the medical mainstream, we have to have the science, which is what I'm working on on the other side. But you're exactly right. A doctor is still a human who can make observations, correct? We're scientists at heart. We should be able to observe this patient in front of me. The only thing they've done is change their diet to a whole food plant-based diet. You lose 140, 150 pounds, and then you get off all your meds within months, whereas before 25 years of you know, modern medical practice has failed you. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for modern medical practice. I'm still an MD. Um, I mean, I still see there's places for medications. And absolutely, I'm not saying that that's the cure-all for and all for everything, but we should optimize our nutrition. And then we're going to be able to deal with so much more. Like the chronic disease may still persist, but it won't be as severe or they'll reverse it completely. So you're exactly right. We should be able to observe these patterns and go, hmm, what is the connecting dot? Oh, it's those whole food plant-based diet. But then we have to remember doctors are humans. We have our own belief systems and our own um, things that we deal with. And many you know, physicians don't take good care of themselves. They're overweight themselves. They have um, also habits that they don't want to give up because honestly, for myself, I had to live the, with integrity, right? So if I have to tell someone I'm going to eat a plant-based diet, you, I need to be eating a plant-based diet. And that included my family. So I literally went home overnight, overnight, pulled everything out, three teenagers and a husband. The husband lost 65 pounds and teenagers at that time were 18, 15, and 13. Um, They are all now 
well, one's, one's in medical school now. And I got a, she's almost 24, 22 and almost 22 and 19. And they're all plant-based. The husband lost 65 pounds. Um, we're almost 50. I feel amazing. I, I, I feel like I'm well beyond, I'm like, I feel like I'm in my twenties. Right. <laughs> so I don't, my kids, I keep up with them just fine. So all plant-based, I'm very blessed. Um, so, you know, there's just been some tremendous things happening that people can't ignore. And that's why I do the podcast. Right. So the reason I started this was in 2016 is because I was getting tired of telling the same stories. I'm like, just go listen to the story. I interview people like you or doctors who do this because mm-hmm. it's such an important message and so simple. It's so simple. It's it just There's, uh, it, like, let me give you the infomercial version of this. <laughs> <laughs> no money to spend. You know, Actually, <laughs> you not, save money, right? Yeah, if I did an infomercial from this, I go, put your checkbook away. You don't need to buy anything. All you need to do is go to a farmer's market or your supermarket yeah. or your garden out in the backyard. Yeah. So I mean, I'm absolutely spending less right money right now on, I purchase, I, I try to buy all organic as much as possible. And I know that sounds like a very privileged thing to say, but fortunately I'm able to do that. I live in Boise, Idaho. We've got some really nice supermarkets here, but you know, the, the important thing is, is that I am spending less money on whole foods like fresh organic fruits and vegetables and bulk grains and all this, then I was absolutely way less money than I was spending on uh, unhealthy fattening processed prepackaged foods that are in boxes or in the frozen section of your supermarket. So let, yeah. let, uh, let me tell you my, my bill. Now I remind you, I had a husband that liked to eat and two growing teenage boys. And so my mm-hmm. husband's Filipino. So he's an inch shorter than me, but my mm-hmm. boys are like each almost five ten. And they look very active, athletic. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of food that was going into those bodies. And Bill dropped $400 a month. That's like getting a raise. I'm right. sorry, but that is significant. And I, you know, it's I've absolutely. done. That's a Mercedes payment for a doctor, for sure. Yeah. For, you know, <laughs> I, we, we have Subarus. We're, we're very minimalist. Yeah. And, but the, you know, the other thing it's important to understand is, these foods, one, they, they're just so cheap, but there's so much variety, right? You can only cook meat one way or a mm-hmm. few different ways. Grilling, it's, it requires some type of fire and certain amounts of fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, seasoning, whereas these, the grains and the vegetables and the textures and the colors, it's just way more fun to cook and way more fun to eat. I think, and I eat a lot more food than I ever did before. So, you know, so there's, there's 20,000 edible plants on earth. So people go, you know, so I also, you know, as part of this, I learned that I had celiac. So I, I Mm. I can't eat anything that has uh, wheat Wheat. or wheat, barley and rye. So it's kind of a, a double difficulty, you know, in the transition, but so people, you know, they ask me about this and I go, you know, it's really, I have way more options. People go, well, if you don't, you don't eat fish, you don't eat chicken. And I go, no, what do you eat? As if, you know, fish, chicken, beef, and, and, and pork are the only things on the planet to eat. Okay. Those are four different things. They're animal products are four different things. And then you also add like milk and eggs and, and cheese. Okay. You've got seven things. That's how most people are subsisting. I have 20,000 things to choose from. And, <laughs> And what my one of my favorite things is is to go to these exotic supermarkets like Filipino supermarkets and yep. uh, Chinese supermarkets, and find things that I've never seen before 
and then learn how to cook them and prepare them. So I have a lot more variety in my life and my, uh, uh, my cuisine is much more interesting by dropping all those things because it's forced me to really figure out a lot of things and it's forced me to go on this journey of discovery that has made me a lot happier and, and give me a lot of new flavors and things to taste that I'd never experienced before. So it's made me a more complete person. I agree 100%. And we had always gone to the grocery store and would buy weird fruits. And I made the kids go with me. They always helped cook. I mean, they were scrubbing toilets by eight because I'm like, you know what? I ain't your mate. I'm your mom. So, you know, and I am hoping their future wives and will appreciate that. But, you know, so those type of, well, I might have my daughter, but she, she's fine too. But um, the key is, you know, exactly what you're describing. So I went to Uganda last year and we did a mission trip with our church and Mm -hmm. I, we had discovered jackfruit the year before. Okay. Mm -hmm. Jackfruit. And when I could discover that I could actually make a jackfruit, like a pulled pork with the barbecue and oh my goodness. Yeah. You just make up some vegan barbecue sauce and you just cook it correctly. And I mean, I'm telling you, put it in a sandwich. It's it's delicious. Well, we went, we went to Uganda and jackfruit grows like apples. Okay. These things are huge and they're in trees. We have pictures of people waiting in our, to see us in the clinic and there's these huge jackfruit. And once they discovered that the Americans love this stuff, they would cut them down and like give them, and it tastes like juicy fruit raw, fresh off the tree. Uh And but I had brought some barbecue sauce with me. And so I, they never cook jackfruit. So I'm in this little rural Ugandan village, right? And we're cooking jackfruit with, for 40 people. I had brought barbecue sauce with me and we bought some local bread and we fed it. And they had never, they were just so mind blowing experience. What a fun thing that was. Wow. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, giving ice cream to like a sub-Saharan African for the first time. It was like they had no concept of mouthfeel, <laughs> temperature, and texture, and taste. And it was all these things combined. Like, they're like, what is going on here? So it was a lot of fun, but that's that's a side note. But yeah, it was that was one of my favorite memories is, is cooking jackfruit for them. <laughs> they're like, why are you cooking jackfruit? Uh, oh, well. Anyway, so now, okay, so then PD. And you, you lost all this weight. I have to ask one of those questions is why did your doctor say your regular doctor? I stopped going to the regular doctor because uh. I figured that the, so here's, so as part of this whole journey discovery and, and figuring all these things out and, and really kind of like understanding that is truly like awakening from the matrix that, you know, doctors were not, who didn't understand this were also not going to, like be on, they're very resistant and um, really concerned and argumentative against this. Like, mm. you know, where do you get your protein? I mean, doctors still say that, right? Mm-hmm. And as you and I know, protein is in every plant source. And by eating a balanced vegan diet, mm. we get the full array of amino acids, the building blocks of protein in everything that we eat, and we don't need to supplement protein at all. Well, so, I, I think they forget... Well, and they forget where the protein originates. So plants actually make it where you, any animal can get protein. So I think they forget that is like, um, we don't need the middleman to assimilate the the amino acids into protein. So, So I realized that it was futile trying to go to somebody for advice that did not understand these basic principles themselves. And also for even the doctors that did understand that a, um, a whole food plant-based diet, there's no cholesterol in plants and there's no trans fats, right? And, and so all these things. But at the same time, <clears throat> these doctors were unlikely to recommend something that they were not doing themselves. So I, I kind of got to the point that 
you know, as far as like for uh, for medical health and for personal reasons, I began. Uh, Why well, I, I well, let me just say, in seven years, I've gotten the flu once and a cold twice, and that's the extent of my medical needs over the past seven years. Versus before, on fifteen different meds and all the procedures and everything I was going through, my employer was easily spending fifty thousand a year on my medical treatment. In addition to, you know, I was meeting my annual copay by about mid-February of each year, as far as uh, all my stuff and wow. thousands of dollars worth of medications a month. So. That's my medication in the past seven years has been um, like a couple of bottles of Advil for sports injuries. And that's pretty much been about it. That, that's been the entire extent of it. Mm-hmm. So, so really, I, uh, to the extent that I did need any medical treatment, I'm pretty specific. I, I feel like I'd be wasting my time trying to go and get advice or consulting from a doctor who was not a practicing vegan. Right. I I completely understand. (laughs) You should have seen some of the conversations I've had with individuals. (laughs) It's remarkable. It's quite remarkable. Okay. So at what point did you start running? So after I lost all my weight, and it's really important for me to tell everybody that I lost all my weight by doing nothing more than being on a whole food, plant-based, no oil diet and walking my dog Petey for half an hour, twice a day. That's all I did. No extreme exercise is required to achieve this level of health and your optimal weight. The the body, however, needs that sort of light to moderate exercise in the form of at least walking for half an hour twice a day. And I found that by doing that once before lunch and once before dinner, that also had this this odd effect of tending to uh, reduce my appetite a bit so I wasn't quite as hungry and I didn't want to really overstuff myself when, when I sat down to eight. So, but after I lost all the weight and I did all these things, I went back to Dr. Preeti one more time and I've maintained great friendship with her ever since, but I don't need to really see her for anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she counseled me that, uh, you know, what I needed to do, because I told her, she said, you need to find a form of lifetime exercise because I was bouncing off the wall and had so much energy, I had to do something. So she said, what she, you, you should do is find a form of lifetime exercise and I'd recommend that you find one with a social component. And she actually asked me if I would, you know, maybe I should try um, Zumba or something. And I laughed at her. I said, have you ever seen me dance? <laughs> Bend my knees. I'm not even going to try that. I feel stupid. And I don't want to wear tights either. So uh, she said, well, you have to find, and this was just complete amazing advice. She said, you have to find a form of exercise that you don't hate and do it. And if it involves a social component, like if it's a group sort of activity, it's going to it's going to lead to friends and, you know, people that think about it, people that are like have a a habit in their life. That's a positive habit that's associated with athleticism. These are good people. None of them are sketchy at all. They're all goal oriented and they're all like nice, active people that are generally successful and have all these things going on. So those are the people that you want as friends anyway. So those are the people that you should hang out with and you should find a form of exercise that you can do that with. There's all sorts of things. You can ice hockey or, you know, tennis or whatever. And then she's out running and I, you know, and I knew that I hated running because in the army, we were forced to run two miles for a physical test uh, once or twice a year. And I just hated doing that. I really did. So I I don't think I'm going to like that. Then I talked to somebody and he said, the thing about running is that 
what will happen is if you're like most people, you're going to hate it for the first couple of weeks and it's going to be a struggle to do it. And it's, it, you're going to go, my God, I hate this. But then somehow you're going to be running along at about a two week point and it's going to be like a light switch flicks on. And you're going to, gosh, I feel great. I don't mind running further. Maybe I should run farther because this feels so good. And that's exactly what happened. So I forced myself to stick with it. And over a couple of weeks, I started, I started running and then it was just like that. And I go, wow, I want to go farther. And so I got on Meetup, which is uh, a thing of like various different meetings. It's, it's an app, Meetup. And I, I found a couple of local running groups and I lived in Northern California at the time. And so I joined a couple of running groups and it was exactly like Dr. Preeti said. Suddenly I had 200 friends and they were all active and positive and healthy and professional and successful people that were really a joy and pleasure to be around and were, you know, great influences on me and, and everything. And so they introduced me to the, uh, the glorious running trails of Northern California. And suddenly it was like, this is what I want my life to be. This is, this is how I'm happy being outside and, and doing things like this with other people and being part of these events and activities. It really, um, it made my life work and it made me really happy and, you know, it was wonderful. So I did that and I just started running farther and farther. And within about two months after starting that, I ran my first half marathon. And uh, a few months later, I ran my full first full marathon. <clears throat> and then since then, I'm now a regular marathon runner. I run about five or six full marathons a year on average and about 15 halves that are like, you know, paid for races. And uh, me and my, my new dog, Jake, run, you know, 30, 40 miles a week on average. And it's just a, a really joy, a real joy to run with a dog once the dog's kind of like just basically trained to run. The dog likes it. I like it. And we just go off on our daily running scouting adventures. And he's just so happy about that. And it's just uh, it really makes my life work. Again, there's a lot there. So but. You mentioned a new dog. So what happened to Petey? I talk about this in my book. Um, so Petey died in 2015, and it was the uh, saddest day of my life because we'd, we'd been through so much together, and we'd moved from the Bay Area to Seattle, Washington, and he had uh, we had a, an apartment that overlooked Puget Sound, the shipyard specifically. It was an absolute stunning place. We had a 280-degree window wraparound view of wow. the Seattle shipyards and everything, and so Petey would stand up there on the uh, 14th floor of our apartment. And Seattle's a really nice, fun, dog-friendly town. So part of the service that was provided by the apartment was they would uh, roll out a patch of sod for him on the balcony, and they'd change it every couple of weeks. So we didn't have to get on a service all the time because he was getting old. And so he, he passed away in 2015, and he had a, a conscious death. And I laid down on the floor, and I held him for a couple of days when he died. And I sang him John Lennon songs. And he just, he died in my arms and it's just something I'll never forget. Mm. So after that, you know, it was like part of me was gone and I just didn't know, you know, I realized that I needed a relationship with a dog like that for the rest of my life. So I met somebody who told me, gave me some really wise advice. And they said that um, when a new dog is looking for you, you'll know it. And that's exactly what happened about six months after Petey passed away. It felt like a really powerful urge to go down to uh, uh, Seattle Humane. And I went there and I walked in and there was, you know, 
because so, I've been looking for a dog and I, I just, I knew that I needed to have an absolute bond with a dog. And all these dogs are just so desperate when you go into these rescues, they're doing backflips and they would really doing anything to get you to take them home. And, but I didn't feel the bond that I had with Petey until I met Jake. And so I went in to see how humane and there Jake was on the, on the side. And he'd just been put in his pen, uh, adoption pen four minutes before. And he was, um, he, he just looked at me straight in the eyes and I knew he was the one. And <laughs> we just, basically we went home together about half an hour later. We started running the next day and two miles, three miles, four miles, five miles. And now he'll do up to a uh, full marathon distances with me. And I, I try to do all my runs with him. And he's just such an amazing dog to do races with. His goal is to win the race. The problem is that he can run two to three minutes per mile faster than I can. And he could actually sustain that pace. So he's like a professional athlete that I'm holding <laughs> back at these races. And we, we're at the start line. He is literally trying to run between, you know, go uh, in, in between the legs of people to try to get to the front of the pack. <laughs> and I just, uh, I actually wear a, um, I wear a waist harness that he's, he's belted to, which is, is, is great. It's really easy to run like that with the dog because the dog actually helps you maybe pulls you along a little bit. So <laughs> in, in doing that, um, you know, he's just a, a joy to run with and he, everybody's laughing at him because he takes it so seriously. He's <laughs> like, so like serious about doing this. That watch. I hope he gets his own medals. <laughs> he does. He usually gets a medal at the end of the race and, you know, every, because he, he's well known at these races now, these local races and, uh, <laughs> everybody really likes to have him there and he's just so well behaved oh that's a great wow yeah. so so you went but also other things change in your personal life right yeah so one of the the one most wonderful thing about all this and the, really the gift and the miracle as part of the miracle of all this is that in high school I dated a girl named Jay J-A-Y-E and she was uh I was between age 15 and 17 and then at 17 I went in the army and I was bad and I, I lost contact with her. And so when 40 years went by, really to the month, 40 years in the wilderness, I call it. And then um, she saw me as a result of this film that I was in in 2016. Somebody asked me if I wanted to make a film and I said, yeah. So the film is uh, Eric and Petey and you can see it at an organization called mutualrescue.org. <clears throat> and so the film came out and um, in, you know, over a short period of time, got over 100 million internet views. And so suddenly I was getting tens of thousands of emails and Facebook messages and all these things like a week. And it was extraordinary. I mean, I just went viral. It was like, I'm a regular guy. And suddenly, you know, like national media was trying to get a hold of me and to be on, and I was on all these different TV programs and everything. I had to get two agents, uh, pardon me, an agent, two agents and two publicists to handle all this. It was extraordinary. Something like, you know, I, I'd never experienced because I, I mean, I just didn't know how to handle all that. I got yeah. over a dozen unsolicited marriage proposals. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so as, as part of all this, then uh, Jay saw the, the film on the internet. And so she knew it was me. And so, uh, so she, she found a way to contact me. And, you know, we were both single at the time, amazingly. And uh, so we decided to get back together. And so when we got back together, 
her life had gone quite a bit like mine had uh, before I experienced the miracle. And that was, uh, she was uh, 197 pounds and a size 20. And she was afraid that I wouldn't like her because she was so out of shape and so overweight. And I had, at that point, I'd stopped evaluating people based upon how they looked because that, that's how people had treated me for, you know, almost three decades. And I just, you stop looking at somebody in, in a way like, what is this person worth to me based upon what they look or what can I get out of this person? You just treat people as the person that they are. And that's what I did with her. But the wonderful thing is by getting together and because I, you know, I was able to do this like on a, just on a live in basis with her, she, we got back together in September of 2016 and by June, she had dropped from 197 pounds to 115 pounds from a size 20 to a size two. And she looked like, she looks better than she did when she was 16 years old. I mean, mm -hmm. she classic Italian beauty. I mean, it's just amazing. So she uh, uh, and I, you know, experienced the same thing. And that was really the, uh, the love story and that the really most wonderful thing that happened out of all this. So we got married in September in December after, you know, getting back together in, in September and now we're living happily ever after in Boise, Idaho. That's wonderful. So it's, it's yeah. your newlyweds. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's fantastic. So those are the best stories. Um, I mean, plants do some incredible things. I, I think this is the one thing that when I go to like, conferences where you know, like the plantation project or dr bernard from pcrm holds conferences or you know plant stock up in new york with dr esselstyn um and the the family farm the one thing that's a constant is the people and mm -hmm. the people are so different it's not like going to a regular medical conference where you don't know anyone and there's drug pharmacy reps and all this stuff vendors whatever the people, it's like a family and there's just so much joy to see each other. And mm -hmm. you just, you're, you're truly looking into healing people and just so inspired. And it's like Pat, my husband, um, he's like, Lori, you're going to see your, you know, my extended family. It's really what it is. Cause family is so important to me. It's just like, they become my family. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's so amazing. It's such a blessing. Oh, I don't even know. It's so incredible. So I, I think that's wonderful. Um, so besides, you know, the issues of the medical practice and people prescribing medications that you don't feel um, are necessary, which really aren't if we would just change our diet to a whole food plant-based diet, you know, change right. so many things. Is there anything else that you, in your experience over those 30 years that you feel that people should be aware of that when they're, they're like, they're going to hear your inspiration and your story and how you did things and think, well, I don't know if I could do this. Is there anything that can cross your mind that you feel like you've experienced that maybe someone else can relate to that just give them one bit of advice that would be able to help them? Yeah. So two, first, you know, this, this changing what you ate, making this, this big change from completely reorienting what you're, uh, from what you're doing right now to learning how to live in a healthy way, it seems like such a big thing, but it's really not. The, uh, uh, the, the, the hard thing that you're doing right now is living the life that you're living. 
And just by making some changes and learning how to do this, taking a couple of months to learn how to do this, get over the hump, get over the transition period, you're going to find that you're going to be able to live the rest of your life with, with great energy, with good health. You're going to feel more attractive. I know that I did than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And that suddenly, you know, people are going to start noticing you again in a good way instead of a, a bad or a horrified way. And that, you know, it, it's way less work to do this than what you're doing now. So the hard part is not making the change. The hard part is not making the change. And by doing, by continuing on with the lifestyle that you have now. And the second thing is, and I really, really mean this for anybody who is in my situation and is looking for a way out. If you're looking to try to find out like what, what's the thing that you should do, go out and adopt a, a middle-aged dog, like an adolescent adult or middle-aged dog, because you need somebody in your life that you have that bond with. And if you take a partner in this process and you start by building your team of a plant-based medical professional and an animal, a dog that needs you, and then you could start walking in the woods or walking down the street or walking around the block or walking through the business district of your town, you're going to, it's going to be hard at first. It's going to be a struggle, but every day by going a little bit farther than you did the day before, you're just going to find that your health and your energy are going to improve. You're going to lose weight and you're just going to become a totally different person. You're going to be so happy. And it all starts by taking the first step. So if you're really serious about this, please consider contacting your local humane society or shelter and meeting your new best friend today, because they're going to help you through this process and they need you as much as you need them. Absolutely. And as far as finding a plant-based practitioner, um, there's plantbaseddocs.com. And I'll put the link so people can search in the general area. If they can't, um, I also work for Doctors on Demand. It's a telehealth company. So people can contact me in the states that I'm licensed in. So right now that's uh, Florida, Colorado, Ohio, North Carolina, Washington State, because that's where I live now. <laughs> and... Um, getting other states as well in the, in that process. So in Arkansas, but um, they can contact me and I'd be happy to help them through that doctors on demand app. It's really simple. And I've helped some people already. It's been a lot of fun um, to work with people online. So boy, um, you know, and you wrote the book walking with PD, please everyone. I'll put a link to, um, if you'll send me the link that you want me to send people to, to buy that. So basically if they go to my website at Eric and E R I C A N D P E E T Y.com. Okay. It, you can't miss the book. So it's, uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, if you think about it, so I also have a list of recommended resources for anybody wanting to start out on a whole food plant-based diet. Um, everything that I have on my website is is like, you know, the start solution and how not to die and all that. It's, it's nothing, nothing outlandish. And then if you, if you consider purchasing my book, my book is a epic American comeback story that really uh, takes people through inspiration and how to get from where I was to where I am now and includes a lot of the practical steps that you can follow to get there. Absolutely. And that's really what I think people need. So like, they're like, okay, I'm inspired and motivated, but how? Right. <laughs> and that's why I know I, I, I was Dr. Lori Marmosox, but it's like how to health, like, how do I do this? So, um, that's the whole point. Yeah, so, so I, I tried to put the why in the how to in the same book. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. Know your why and then just do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric. What a joyful, uh, conversation and just, it's going to be a lot of fun to, to hear the comments and, and I get, 
the podcast is growing, which has been a lot of fun and hearing and reaching more people. And it's just been such a joy to be a part of someone's recovery from just everyday life in America and just understanding how you can really live and thrive and be, you know, a self that you never dreamed of, I think. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it again. So thanks everyone for listening. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.